Father in heaven, thank you so much for your watch care over us in this past week. Thank you, O Lord, for the ministry of your angels and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, now as we come to study your word, please, Father, grant us again your Holy Spirit that he may speak to each of our hearts, that you might lead us into all truth, that you would guide us and help us to understand these precious words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of our study this evening is the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And this is found in Luke 15. And, you know, Luke 15 is actually quite a famous chapter, if you're not aware. It contains the parable of the prodigal son, which is known and studied throughout the whole world and throughout all of Christendom. And look, we'll be studying that next week. That's not our study for tonight, but that's what we're going to study in the future. But today we're going to be looking at two short parables that precedes the parable of the prodigal son, and that will tie into that next week. But these two short parables are the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. However, what many of us gloss over, usually as always, is the background to these parables. And many times, many times we looked at the background to these parables and we've seen how important it is to understand all of that. So let's start there at the beginning of Luke 15. And what is the reason why Jesus gave these parables in succession? So let's look at this Bible text, shall we? Luke 15 verses 1 to 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So Jesus obviously was eating with a certain group of people. Who are they? It was the publicans. And the scribes and the Pharisees came along to murmur about Jesus because he was mingling with them and eating with them. It's not that it was his doctrine that was anything wrong or his teaching that was anything wrong, but the fact that he was just sitting there mingling with the publicans whom they called sinners. Can you believe it? They would have a problem with Jesus eating with somebody, as if eating with a different class or group of people that is wicked was a bad thing. He was eating with sinners. They would not believe that Jesus would socialize with such a people. And obviously, they did not socialize with such a group of people. Now look, what group was Jesus actually eating with? Yes, publicans. But now, let's go to a different Bible text. In Mark chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, this is not an uncommon occurrence for Jesus. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? Now, we don't know if this was actually a different time, but it seemed like it was because the scribes and Pharisees said it to the disciples, but this in, in uh, Luke chapter 15, it would be said to Jesus. 
But yes, Jesus was actually eating with publicans who were tax collectors and other groups of people who the Pharisees and the scribes considered sinners. And yes, these people were dishonest people. They, they cheated people out of their money. They were worldly. There were many things that the Jews despised about them and that we as Christians obviously would not approve even today. Now, I guess we can look at it from the perspective of a concerned parent, right? I mean, I wouldn't want my kids to hang out with quote-unquote dishonest people or people that cheated or, or lied or that were focusing on the world all the time. I mean, we wouldn't want our children to, to hang out with people that were smoking and, and drinking and getting drunk all the time, right? Or, or just getting in trouble at school all the time. So I guess if we looked at it from a concerned parent perspective, we could possibly understand the scribes and Pharisees a little. I mean, we would not want our children to become like them, right? But look, obviously the scribes and Pharisees were not concerned about Jesus becoming like the sinners, like the drunkard, like the tax collector. Oh, Jesus is suddenly going to start cheating people out of their money, right? So they were obviously not concerned about the fact that their influence would have this negative influence on Jesus and maybe taint his preaching. No, there's none of that there, obviously. But why were they complaining? Because simply they were looking for some dirt on Jesus, something bad about Christ. But from Christ's perspective, friends, we see the importance of having friends that can edify you, yes, and pray for you and help you to grow in your Christian faith. And yes, the importance of mingling for the sake of being a blessing. Yes, sometimes we like to even go too far though, separate our church friends from our worldly friends. But in essence, sometimes we're closer to our, our friends that are outside of church, isn't it? But you see, to Christ, to Christ, he was always the latter. Not looking for friends to just unload his burdens on and, and to share and gossip about the problems in his life and, and maybe even gossip about the, the scribes and the Pharisees. No, Jesus, he was always a blessing no matter where he went. And he was a friend to everybody, the righteous and the sinners. He did not burden anybody with his problems. He took them all to God. But you see, we do see how important prayer is, even to Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when he yearned for the prayer of his disciples, they all fell asleep. And that, that's important, yes. It's important to have praying friends. But you see, Jesus was a blessing everywhere he went, even to the disciples, even to the righteous. He taught them and edified them and, and helped them to grow in their faith. And to the sinners, he ministered to them. He socialized with them. He, quote unquote, hung out with them and laughed with them and ate with them. He was a friend to everybody. And he uttered a really important truth, even in Mark chapter 2, right after the scribes and the Pharisees said that they couldn't believe that Jesus was eating with these publicans and sinners, look at how Jesus responded because obviously he must have heard this. Now, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of 
the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, friends, Jesus did not come for the righteous. And obviously, we know from the scripture, there's none righteous, no, not one. But Jesus did not come to save the righteous. He did not come just to hang out and socialize with the righteous and form a righteous uh, only club. No, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. He came for the worst of the worst, for the helpless, for those caught in the web of sin, the infidel, whoever that is. And if that's you today, friends, then Jesus came for you and even for me. With that, let's go and read now the parable of Luke chapter 15. Remember, this was the background. The scribes and the Pharisees accusing Jesus, saying bad things about Christ from the fact that he was simply just eating with them, right? Let's go and read the parable now. Luke 15 verses 3 through 10. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse 8, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and diligently and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So I've read both parables here. The parable of the lost sheep is first, and then the lost coin. But what we see is that the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, what, what are the similarities? There are a few that we see here, and then there are a few differences between the two. Let's start with the similarities first, shall we? So in both these parables, we see that something is lost, and then it is found. So both parables have this uh, first thing, they're lost and then it's found. Secondly, someone has to go and look for that which was lost. And in the case of the lost sheep, it was a shepherd. In the case of the lost coin, it was a woman. And also, both parables illustrate the lesson of repentance. Of what? Of repentance which we'll look at in a minute, but this is really important because this is the conclusion that is, that is given in both these parables, okay? So it's lost, it's found, someone has to go look for that which is lost, and then when it's found, it illustrates repentance. However, in the parables, these two parables, 
there is one major difference between these two. And apart from the fact that one is a sheep and one is a coin, that part is obvious, right? So they're definitely different there. However, in the first parable, what gets lost is a living animal. It walks off on its own without the notice of the shepherd. The shepherd must have been busy. He must have been busy taking care of the sheep. He must have been busy doing something, looking for water for the sheep. Whatever it was, this animal walked away. All right? But in the parable of the lost coin, usually when we lose a coin, it's the owner's fault, right? So I misplaced the coin. It got flicked away or whatever it is, right? And we, we dropped it or we misplaced it or something happened. And we are the ones that lost it. It's an inanimate object. It can't walk away. Now, we know that obviously Jesus didn't lose us in that sense, right? He didn't make us lost. But when it comes to the coin, it doesn't know it's lost. Are you with me? It doesn't know it's lost. So the coin is sitting behind the couch, behind the sofa, whatever you call it, whichever country you're from. But it's sitting behind the sofa and it's down there underneath all dusty and dirty and it's fine. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't do anything. It just sits there until the owner finds it. However, when the sheep gets lost though, Eventually, it will know it's lost because it'll get hungry, it'll get thirsty, no one there to feed it or give it water like what the shepherd would always do for all his sheep, and it'll begin to cry out for help. It knows it's lost, but the coin does not know. And friends, this is really important. Why? Because the difference between that sheep and that coin, it represents two different groups or types of people in our world today. People that know they're lost and they're crying out for help. They're looking for something better. They want something better. And they're waiting for the shepherd to come and find them. So they're crying out. They know that something is happening in their life that is not right, whatever it is. That's the lost sheep. But the lost coin represents a different type or group of people in this world. People that don't know they're lost that they're comfortable in their lives, in their sin, and they're living in their lost condition. Do you see that? They know what is right. They are not doing it. They're stealing. They're cheating, but they don't care. They're getting drunk and vomiting up everywhere. They're being their wives. They don't care somehow. Life has not caught up to them yet. Their consciences have not turned on yet. They don't feel remorse. They don't feel sad. They don't feel guilty. But you see, these groups, they need, uh, both times, they need people to come and search for them. More on that in a minute. But just understand this difference, right? One, they know they're lost. They're crying for help, but they don't know where to get that help until the shepherd comes along. Coin, happily, lost. They don't care. Dust, dirt, in the water, in whatever junk or in the soil or whatever it is, they're all rusted out, they're fine, and they don't care. Two different groups of people, but both times it needed someone to go and search for them. Now, I want to look at the understanding of this repentance for a minute, okay? Because both these parables illustrate repentance. 
right? And there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. What is the meaning of repentance? It means a change of mind, a reversal, right? So it's not just that though. It's not just saying sorry. It goes beyond saying sorry. It's the change that has taken place in our hearts, in our minds, and as a result, then we say sorry and we want a different life change. That's what repentance is. And here's a question though. Here's the really interesting thought because generally, when it comes to repentance, we think what? God convicted me, now I need a change. God struck me with lightning and ah, I realize that I'm wrong, now I need a change. But you see, when you look at the parable though, who changed? Did the sheep change? No. Did the coin change? No. You see, we, we think of repentance as we think we need to change. I need to do it. However, do we see the changes in the sheep and the coin? No. Apart from the fact that they were lost and now they're found. What did the sheep and the coin do? Absolutely nothing. In these two parables, repentance is illustrated, but it really has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. More about what God does than what we do. Let's look at a few texts on repentance to illustrate this, shall we? Let's have a look at our first in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans 2, 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Did you see that? It is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not any goodness of our own, not like, oh, suddenly I, I felt a holy impulse. No, it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So the change in our hearts that takes place as a result of what we see, pardon me, the change that takes place in our hearts, it's a result of what we see, what God has done for us when we see His goodness, when we recognize His goodness. Then the change comes, but it's empowered by God. The sheep that got lost. Let me give you an illustration, right, from the parables. The sheep that got lost. I think it would think twice about getting lost a second time about just wandering off because of the traumatic experience that it went through, right? Hungry and thirsty and caught in some bush with thorns or whatever it is, or broke an ankle or broke a bone or whatever it is, or fell off. Because of what it's gone through, the shepherd came and picked it up and put it on his shoulders, brought it all the way home, and he's now safe in the sheepfold. That sheep changes as a result of the goodness of the shepherd. Repentance has got nothing to do with us, friends. If we see God's goodness, we will change. Let me give you another text. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Did you see that? 
God is the one that grants repentance unto life. He's the one that gives repentance to us. Meaning, any desire for change in a good and righteous path, a desire to be a better person, a desire to live a better life, a desire to become a moral being that is better and not worse, it all comes from God, not from us. But you see, if we wish to effect any permanent change, and we're not talking about some, you know, I'm good by accident, or my parents raised me good. No, friends. It's we come to this understanding, but the realization of this understanding is God's goodness, and the power to change is also God's goodness. It's all about God. Let's go to another text. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 25. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God per adventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Once again, we see here that God is the one that gives repentance. Repentance is a gift from God if we just simply look to our own selves, friends. We would not repent. In fact, we might feel sorry for ourselves even more and justify our wicked actions that they're okay. I mean, for example, we might look at our poor lives, living in poverty, under a bridge, living in a cardboard box, and we feel so sorry. We look at our own lives. We feel so sorry for ourselves that we justify the fact that it's okay to go out and steal, rob a bank, or do whatever it is just so that we can feed our family or climb the ladder in life to live a better life. So if we look to ourselves, we'll never change for the better. And in fact, we'd probably change for the worse because that's what selfishness is all about. Looking at our lives and pitying ourselves and it drives us to do things that are not in line with righteousness and God's goodness. So in order for us to have true repentance, friends, we must see Jesus. And in the case of these parables, it is Jesus that comes looking for us because we are helplessly lost. And in the case of the sheep, um, no, that's in the case of the sheep. And in the case of the coin, we are happily and satisfactorily lost. You see that? So, Already we're seeing a, a lot of interesting thoughts that come out from these two parables. But now let's have a look at the, the sheep. How do we know that this sheep represents us? Well, it's very simple. Let's go to another text. In Luke chapter, well, in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, the Bible simply says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So that's clear. That's very clear that the sheep is us, right? The, the, the one that is a sinner, they repent. But now let's go to some other Bible texts. First Peter 2.25 For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop, of your soul. So we were that sheep going astray. Here's another one, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So very clearly, the sheep represents us, us as sinners. And we know in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So all of us are sheep. And maybe you're saying, well, 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 I'm not that sheep. I'm not that sheep. Maybe you're the sheep that's been saved. Or you think, maybe how ridiculous it is that I could be a sheep. Maybe you could be a coin. You don't know that you're lost. You're happily living your lost life, your sinful life. I hope not. But I hope that we'll come to that realization and that that good shepherd and bishop of our souls will come and look for us. So, friends, Jesus is the one that affects repentance. But now remember, according to these two parables, repentance has nothing to do with us, right? It has more to do with the shepherd who comes to look for the sheep and the woman who comes to look for the coin. Both sheep and coin, though, even though the sheep know, they both are incapable of doing anything to right their situation and to be found again. So, who does the shepherd represent? Well, it's obvious. It's Jesus. You're right. Let's go to John chapter 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So that represents Jesus. Pretty simple, right? So in the first parable, Jesus is found looking for the lost sheep. And this is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He came seeking to save the lost and to give us that repentance. So once again, any times we have those feelings of remorse, sorry, guilt, that is a gift from God. Even those who don't know God, even those who don't understand the working of the Holy Spirit, that guilt conscience is a blessing because it helps us to realize, hey, I've done wrong. I better change. Time to make right in my life, right? But you know what's very interesting, friends? In the Bible, the word pastor, the word pastor, if you look it up in the concordance, in the Greek, even in the Hebrew, it doesn't matter, Old Testament or New Testament, the word pastor means shepherd. A pastor is meant to be a shepherd. Or should I say, the pastor should go to seek and save the lost. And, you know, for those that know me, <laughs> it's not just the pastor's work. It's the work of everybody that is saved. It is the work of all those that are righteous. And it's not that we can be the shepherd to save somebody but we got to share about Jesus to somebody who can be saved by Christ. Jesus is the one that can save them, but we are the ones that are to go and seek and save the lost. So if we are to be followers of Christ, He wants us to do the work of the shepherd as well. So you see, there are two sides of this. There are two applications. Yes, the shepherd is Jesus. He's the only one that can save us. But as the work of the pastor, as the work of a follower of Christ, we are to give Jesus to the people so that they can be saved as well. 
This is the work of every church member. And in essence, Jesus is looking at the scribes and the Pharisees and he's telling them, you should be doing what I'm doing. To be saved doesn't mean you get a more comfortable seat in church. To be saved doesn't mean you get some sort of discount at the bookstore, the Christian bookstore. To be saved doesn't mean that you you get to be first in line. No, it doesn't mean any of those things. To be saved means to follow Jesus and you should be doing what He does. We should be doing what He does. The scribes and the Pharisees, instead of pointing to Christ, they should have been sitting there mingling with them, socializing with them, seeking to save the lost, to introduce the gospel to them. They've forgotten their mission as a Christian. They've forgotten the reason why they were were called to be an Israelite or a Jew, which was to be a blessing to the whole world. And the greatest blessing, my dear friends, that we can be to this world today is to share Christ. Some people call that an agenda. And yes, friends, let's admit it. We have an agenda. I want to give Jesus to the world. It's like saying, I want to give a million dollars to everybody. I want to give eternal life to everybody. I want to give a mansion to everybody. Wouldn't that be a good agenda? Yes. It's the mansion in heaven. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord to those that believe. I want to introduce Jesus to them because I know that they can live a better life a more fulfilling life, a more happy life, a more joyful life. But of course, here's the catch, friends. Here's the catch. For the scribe and the Pharisee, when you looked at them, when you looked at their life, you probably didn't want to be like them. They fasted twice a week and they probably just made it look so sad and they were so, oh, this is my duty, i got to do this. And, you know, oh, i got to go to church, i got to do this, i got to do that. The, the, the sinners, probably when they looked at, looked at the Pharisees' life or the scribes' life, they looked at them and they felt sorry for them. They didn't want to be like them, you see. It wasn't a, a life worth emulating. You see, friends, if, if we want to give Jesus to the world, we really got to have a better life than the world, isn't it? And whether that's a more healthy life, a more happy life, a more fulfilled life, not a life full of complaining, right? We should have a different life to display to the world. And that's the life of Christ. And so if we don't have that today, maybe we are missing Jesus in our lives. That truth has just become a form, isn't it? But that's something for us to consider. But now, let's go look at the second parable, the parable of the lost coin. You see, remember, first parable, shepherd went looking for a sheep that knew it was lost. But now the second parable, who is looking? It is a woman. What does a woman represent in the Bible? Very simple. We've gone through this before. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A woman in the Bible represents what, friends? It represents the church. And this is the main work and calling that has been assigned to every church member. So we see, yes, the shepherd leads out as The pastor leads out. But who should follow? It's the woman. The woman in the second parable is not just the pastor. It is every church member to seek 
and to save the lost. We all are to do the same as Jesus did, to help people to repent, to bring them to Jesus, to the foot of the cross, where they can find joy, where they can find love, where they can find mercy and grace to help in time of need, that Jesus is the one that can help them to change and bring them to repentance and give them a desire even to change. So really, the 99 sheep are those that should be a blessing to the rest of the world. That is the work and the duty of those that are just, the righteous, what the Pharisees and scribes should have been doing. Friends, if you are not lost today, if you've given your life to Jesus, the question I want to ask you is, are you seeking and saving the lost? If not, could it be that you're not as righteous as you think you are? That's a tough question to ask, I know. But it needs to be asked, isn't it? If you are not doing the work of Christ, is Christ really living in your heart? And yes, I have to ask myself that question too sometimes because I'm a minister. This is my job. i got to do it, right? But every true Christian, when they are born again, when they accept Christ, they are born a missionary. They have the passion of Christ. They have the heart of Christ. They have the mind of Christ. They have the love of Christ, which is to save everybody into the kingdom of God. Are we doing that today? If not, are you sure you are just? Are you sure you are righteous? Just a food for thought, just a question for you to ponder on this evening. But you see, friends, for the woman, right, in the parable, what did she have to do in order to find the coin? Luke 15, verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? So what does she do? Number one, she lights a candle. Then She sweeps the house and she seeks diligently. So the first step is to light the candle. Now, what does candle and light represent? Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20. We'll start with candle. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the candlestick represents the church, and the purpose of the church is to shine light, is to give light. Now look, this is an important detail here, friends. We have to emphasize this, because some of us, we ask ourselves, Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to be connected to a church? Why do I need to belong to a church? I love Jesus. I I just want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to follow any denomination. But friends, Jesus, he gives endorsement to a church. Not every church, but to a church. But you see, friends, Jesus was the one that even started the early church back in Acts chapter 2. And today, God, He has given us a church that we can shine our light through them. Not just any one individual, but as a church, we need to go and seek and save the lost. Otherwise, where are you going to bring them when they want to meet Jesus? 
when they're inevitably going to want to worship God. Where are they going to go? Are you going to bring them to your house? You're starting your own church. It's still a church. Do you see that? So church is important. But the purpose of the church is to give light, to shine light. And what does light represent? Psalms 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Friends, if we are to help others to experience repentance and change in their lives, we must give them the Bible. And the church must be the one that will shine the light, God's word, to assist in helping others to change, to help that change take place in a person's heart. So just as the righteous live by faith, the just will live by faith on the word of God. We must learn to give that light, the word of God to others, to share with others so that they can learn to live by faith as well. But remember, she has to sweep away the dust and seek diligently. It's not just a casual sharing of the Word of God, friends, but a diligent sharing of it as well, a diligent study of it as well. It takes effort if we want to bring light to people around us, to seek and to save the lost. It takes effort, a lot of effort. You know, friends, here's an interesting side application. You see, the woman lost one piece, the parable says, out of how many pieces? Ten pieces of silver. She lost one of the ten. What does silver represent in the Bible? Psalms 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Friends, what does silver represent according to Psalms here? It represents the Word of the Lord, the Word of God, the Bible, ten pieces of the Word of God. What could that possibly be pointing to? Why, it's very simple, the Ten Commandments, right? And it says that one was lost. Well, there is one commandment that was lost in the Dark Ages, and even today, there's one that was seemingly lost. What was it? It was the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment. And you see, friends, in order to find it, the church had to turn on the light of the gospel of God, the Word of God, to seek it diligently and sweep away the dust of tradition, and then they were able to find it again. So you, see, you can see this second application come out. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. It gives us a little bit of history about our church as well. But you see, the first parable, it illustrates the work of Christ in the heart, right? And in a sense, what the ministers should do as well, going out to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus, he works upon our hearts. And in similar manner, we got to do that as well. That's the Gospel Commission, Matthew 28. Go ye therefore, right? But the second parable illustrates the work of the church. Yes, friends, God has left for us a work to do. If we are to be followers of Christ, we have to follow in this way. And I want you to think about this. How many 
of our church members. How many people that attend church are soul winners, are bringing people to church, are bringing people to Jesus, are giving Bible studies, are getting involved. And friends, if that is not you, then I'm questioning your righteousness this evening. I don't mean to be offensive, but this is something for us to consider. This is something for us to think about because the parable that we're seeing here very much speaks that way, isn't it? Sure, we could have gotten maybe misunderstood about the shepherd. Maybe you didn't agree with me that the shepherd is also us as well. But the woman, you cannot misunderstand. Today, if we want to fulfill what God has called each of us to do, we have to have the light of God's Word shining in our hearts first. We've got to experience His goodness first, personally to us, on a personal level. We have to understand what true repentance is. And when we have seen how heaven rejoices over our individual life, then we will see the value of one soul. One soul, we will see that value. And so friends, I want to ask again, have you experienced true repentance today? If not, where, we, where do we have to start? We've got to go back to God's Word, friends. That's what it is. And why do I talk about the Word of God so much? Because as much as I talk about it, there are so few people spending time in it. You know what I mean? Even though I talk about it all the time, yet I know there are so few people that are spending time in the Word of God on a consistent and daily basis, allowing Jesus to speak His words, His life, His love, His passion into our hearts. And so I want to encourage you to go back to the Word of God again this evening. Psalms 119, verse 9 to 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How can we change? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Friends, if we are to change, if we are to stop sinning, if we are to become righteous, God's word must be placed here. And so as I ask you this evening, are you righteous or not? We can know by our fruits. Yes, are we having this passion for souls or not? This is not something that you can manufacture. You know, I can bring my kids out to go door knocking. I can bring them to go to church and, and sing a special music. Or even I've written for my oldest daughter a sermon to preach, you know, and she can do all these things. But that can be manufactured. But love for Jesus, passion for souls, only God can do that. Yes, as a pastor, I can go out and do my job. I have to preach. I have to give Bible study. I have to go witness, right? But even that will not bring a love for other people. Only Jesus can do that. Only His Word can do that. Implanted in our hearts, we begin to live the life of Christ. 
We begin to have the mind of Christ. We begin to have the passion of Christ. And so, friends, if you are lacking in that passion this evening, if you have been honest with yourself and taken a good long look at your life, the Christian life that you are living, and you realize you don't have the passion of Christ, then I want you to go back to the Word. Even if you're baptized, even if you're born up in a, brought up in a Christian home, even if you're serving in church, if you're not having consistent daily time in God's Word, you're probably still lost. And so this is why some people need Bible study, even though you are baptized, even though you've been long in the church, even though you know all the Bible stories, even though you've studied this parable so many times, and you know the parable that we're going to look at next week. But friends, it doesn't matter. we got to come back to His Word today. What will it be? What will it be? I pray that you would give God a chance again. That not only would you surrender, but that you would make the effort to spend time in His Word, even this evening, after the, all of this shuts off, that you tell God, God, I'm sorry. I've not been living the true Christian life. I've just been living the form. That was the scribes and the Pharisees, friends. And I don't want to be like that. And I know you don't either. So let's come back to the Word this evening, shall we? Let's surrender our hearts and our lives again to God and ask Him to be with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we realize that we are so far from the life of Christ. Lord, I realize that, even as a pastor. And I just pray that you would lead us back to your word this evening. It's not just about baptizing us with your Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden we have a passion, but Lord, that you would give us your life, that you breathe your Spirit into us, that you would give us a desire for more holy things, and that as you change our hearts and as we focus more on this and on the world, that our eyes would be open to people that are dying, that are lost without a Savior. Lord, please give us that passion this evening and give us a passion for your word as well. Give us a love for your word. Help us, Lord, to partake of it truly as we eat bread on a daily basis. Help us, Father. Draw us closer to you again this evening. Lead us, guide us, bless us with your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.